Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about who should be your digital executor is Betsy Ehrenberg. Betsy founded Legacy Concierge to protect wealth, especially after a person passes away. Her company has been at the forefront of digital property protection for the past five years. Our world has changed. We are aware that digital assets reside in over 160 locations and trust in estate investment planning with digital assets is more strategic today than ever before. The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. How are you doing today, Betsy? I'm doing just great. I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we had 14 inches of snow last night. <laughs> we were talking off air about that. I'm glad you're happy about that, because I wouldn't be happy if that happened here in D.C. <laughs> Well, Jason, I can understand that. But anyway, <laughs> this morning, let's get started on talking yes. about who should be your digital executor. Absolutely. And in order to do that, the most important issue is who are you going to select? And we're going to go through these three topics this morning about who is the person that is most ideal to be your digital executor, what planning should they do and what should you do? And what is the purpose of even selecting a digital executor? As Jason mentioned, there are over 160 assets that are digital assets that each person has if they're 75 or younger. But today we're gonna to be talking about emails, videos, and photos. And the third thing that's important is why do you need patience during probate. So on your screen, now you can see some examples of digital property. And therefore, what is it that the digital executor will have to handle? Some of these icons are very familiar to you, the airlines, insurance companies, social media in the case of LinkedIn and Facebook. But on the left, there is a red tile with a little lock in it. And that represents a company called LifeLock, who is protecting the digital assets and credit of a person while they're alive. Be advised that if you or any of your colleagues are using LifeLock, its protection ends at date of death. You can see that LifeAlert is another service. Help me, I've fallen down. Again, these services cease at date of death, and they are subscriptions that represent the electronic records or digital property that belongs to a person. So let's figure out who you should select. Now, the first thing is, can I select more than one digital executor? Absolutely. You can identify one that will just be in charge of emails, photos, and videos. You could suggest another that will be in charge of your fiduciary duties for financial aspects. The question might be, what about siblings? Should I select one of my siblings? Well, probably not, because that person may not be alive when you pass. The other issue to think about is do I want 
a corporate person, a trust officer, an attorney to in fact be my digital executor. I'm going to suggest that that is a good idea, but does the person have electronic savvy? The second part in deciding who the person is, is to actually have a plan. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to download photos? How much information are you going to tell them ahead of time? On this slide, I've said Gary's letters to his friend. Gary is a client. He lives in Tucson. He is also signed up to allow our company to handle his digital uh, state after he passes away. So he wrote a letter to the person who he had identified to be his digital executor. He showed it to us, and after six revisions, it was absolutely the correct letter to send. After this presentation, if you're interested in a copy of that letter to know the format, we're happy to share it. The other part of the uh, digital assets is to realize you have to, or someone must file a, uh, a final tax return. And one way to do that is to get the previous tax returns that can easily be obtained after a person has passed away. Typically, in an estate, there are professional and financial assets, and then there are sentimental assets. What do you want to do with the photos? After you have passed, what do you want to have happen? Do you want them just to be deleted from cyberspace? Do you want them to be available immediately for memorial service? You can decide. So this slide is mostly a checklist of do you have letters that you have put on video that you want people to uh, view after you've passed away? And will the trust that you have set up still remain because there were two trustees in that trust? Does the other person who remains as an owner of that trust have the technical savvy to go out and find the 160 records that contain your name and then determine what is the best uh, disposition? The other and third most important thing in planning for that person is what are you expecting them to do? Are you expecting them to close the accounts, cancel the credit cards, destroy the photos, not worry about files that you have on your computer? Can you end up in family fights? Absolutely. Just because assets are digital doesn't mean that the family is not going to start fighting over different digital assets. Do you want, as a last item, to use technology to look for relatives? Digital Legacy, as a company, is one of many that assembles and takes care of the digital assets after death and ensures that the family and the business get all that they deserve. One way to do this is to build a complete digital inventory. On the right, you'll see the beautiful safe indicating all the different in pieces of information 
that should be in your digital vault. Typically, people say, I want to keep track of my financial accounts and my insurance policies, but they forget about all the shopping sites and the subscriptions, all the housing issues, and in particular, if you live in a technology uh, home that has electronics and special codes to open up the front door, who knows about that? And what is it connected to? And how will that piece of digital information be handled after a person's death? With government, it's very simple. It's a driver's license, voter registration, passport, etc. But today we're just going to be talking about what do you do with your emails, your videos, and your photos? Well, first thing is to talk about emails. There are generally four areas of information that you should consider. What should I do with my personal Gmail? And I say Gmail because Google boasts that 95% of all households have a Gmail account. Find that a little strange, but that's what they boast. In addition, the decedent could have a business email. Or, and what should happen when messages start coming into that business email who should be getting them? Do you want them automatically uh, redirected? Which can be done. It's easy to set up. It's easy to change. But we want you to think about it. How in my uh, email account, uh, what will happen to the contacts? Do I want to write and generate an email to everybody who is a contact? And not I, but the executor, let them know the sad news. And of course, we've heard a lot about Twitter and tweets. What do you want to have happen? In the case of Gmail, Google requires a court order from the probate state. Meaning, even though Google is in California, if a person passed in Arizona, the court order must come from a court in Arizona. So that's something to be aware of. If one calls up Google as an executor and identifies that they have the responsibility of the assets of a decedent, therefore Google should give that person the password they will not. And it already flags the account to say this person wants to intrude. The court order is not saying you must give me the password. The court order is saying you want Google to turn over five years of uh, files that were created in the last five years, the last three years, the last eight years under the Gmail address as follows. And that order must come from a probate judge. The second category about um, digital assets is videos. What do you want to have happen to them? Personally, I have videos on my phone and my tablet. I don't have anything on my laptop and certainly nothing on my desktop. However, most of them are sitting in iCloud. And iCloud is an Apple device 
Apple service. But in order to get it, Apple requires a court order, again, from the state in which probate opened. You can see that this could be a problem if you're dealing with an estate of a person who passed away in an international location like Canada, Mexico, uh, France. However, that problem of Apple requiring a court order from a probate state is currently under discussion and hopefully in six months we'll have a good solution where Apple will not require a court order just from a U.S. state. The third issue of what you should be handling is your photos. They're on Facebook, they're on Google, they're on Instagram. Facebook is the easiest custodian to deal with. You can memorial, the executor can submit digital records and requests to Facebook and Instagram since Instagram is owned by Facebook and therefore allow you to download lots of photos into a folder completely electronically. Google is not quite that easy. What Google says is that on your account, you can identify an inactive user. And that inactive user has an account, has a Gmail address, and can in fact uh, sign on to the account and download photos. If you try to do this task of handling email and videos and photos, it can take over 120 hours to do if you're not aware of what the rules are and you do not follow the current rules, when I, that's important because the rules at Chase for credit cards and bank accounts change every 34 days. So when the time comes, you want to use that inventory. Now financial, in the olden days, people could walk into a branch. In many cases, and particularly in the state of New Mexico, Citibank has no branches, so everything must be done electronically. And this is also an issue with digital inventory with insurance. There are many different multiple carriers, perhaps with your insurance policies. I'm going from my experience I deal with four different insurance policies depending upon what the need is. Now, these are not specifically email, videos, or photos. However, email is the clue. Email will tell you, as the executor, how to find a lot of different pieces of digital inventory that belong to the decedent. With email, if there were scheduled deposits, the custodian, and let's call it um, uh, Bank of America, will send the decedent a note, your February mortgage payment was received. So that email can provide a roadmap for you as the executor. It shouldn't be difficult, but it is. Custodians change their rules all the time. But 
it should not be a surprise to you when you'll say, well, this is what you required two months ago. Well, that may be true, but it isn't what you require today. We've changed our rules. The third thing that I want you to be aware of is that the executor must take a patient's pill and just say, okay, I realize there are four stages to closing digital assets. The first one is collecting the information. The second one is notifying the custodian. The third one is getting acknowledgement from the custodian that they received your request and are on it. And then the fourth step for that particular asset is getting a response from the custodian that they have handled the request that you gave them. You can't expect that Bank of America, as an example, is going to say, you're the executor, you can look at all the accounts of the decedent. But you, what you initially want them to do is to mark the account as being belonging to a person who has passed away. This is also true through email and dealing with the IRS. The IRS <laughs> notification is pretty complex. You have to write a letter. A letter? What are you talking about? We live in an electronic world. Yes, you have to write a letter to the location that processed the last tax return of the decedent. However, the office that the IRS directs you to changes every January 1st. Is this unbelievably complex? Yes. I'm sharing this information so you will not be as surprised as I was when we sent notification to Ogden, Utah and found out it really this time had to go to South Carolina, even though the person didn't live in South Carolina. And part of this whole process is making a plan, putting it on timeline, perhaps taking a three ring binder and dividing it up into sections. What am I gonna do with my photos? What is gonna to happen to my emails? What about my videos? And as the person who was alive, you give a wonderful gift to the fiduciary, to the executor, in telling them ahead of time what you plan to have happen. So here we are, and I've come to the end of my formal presentation about who should be your digital executor. And before we go into questions and answers, I want to share with you one of many stories that might help you get your uh, plans in place. One of them is be sure that the person you have identified as a digital executor has the skills. And in, before that, in selecting the attorney who will help at this point, it should be somebody who is familiar with recent legislation that deals with fiduciary access to digital assets. So at that point, Jason, I'll turn it back to you in case you have some questions for me. 
Excellent, Betsy. Yes, quite a few questions have come in. Uh, the first question, speaking to this digital executor, how often should you have the conversations with this digital executor and should maybe you have a backup just in case? Very good question. Um, again, the digital executor should be updated, I believe, once a year. And it can be either at tax time or New Year's, whatever date works for you. But if you are dealing with a, an attorney who set up your plans, you should also be having the conversation with them. You can again have identify the fiduciary for digital assets as the uh, as a child because they will be likely more technically savvy than a sibling. But again, if you have set up your um, executor to be a trust officer, today is the day for you to call your trust company and ask the person who has been identified, what are the plans for dealing with the digital assets of my estate, my trust, after I pass away? Make sure you get some good answers. Any other questions? Yeah, yes. Um, so somebody said, I have already had my estate plan done. Now I'm watching this. What do I need to do? Do I need to go back to my attorney and ask if my digital assets are covered under my estate plan that was already uh, put in place? Yes, the answer is yes. And you should be going back to the person who put together your trust and estate documents. Before you do that, you might wanna read through it. There should be a separate paragraph decide uh, that describes the fiduciary or the digital fiduciary or the fiduciary responsibility for digital assets. I would hope that that paragraph is in your current documents. If it is not, it's going to be an uphill battle trying to get a custodian to respond positively to the request of the fiduciary to gain access and control of the digital assets. Another question, Betsy, when do you recommend somebody should start their estate plan? What age, is there an age that you recommend or is it you know, when you have a certain amount of assets, what do you recommend? Generally, the attorneys tell us that people put together the trust and estate plan after they've purchased their first house or become parents. If that never happened, and the listener is in the 70% of the population that have no wills, now is the time today to speak to an attorney, a trust and estate attorney, and uh, build uh, your will, build your uh, trust documents to deal with fiduciary access to digital assets. And we know that people will use online services to build their end of life documents. If that is the case, today is the day that you look at those documents and see if they even have a paragraph, fiduciary access to digital assets. Okay. A couple That's more a questions, question. Betsy. Uh, 
Somebody asks, how do you give someone the ability to manage your digital legacies without compromising your passwords and security? Uh, here's the secret. You don't have to give custodians passwords if you can prove with the legal documentation you are entitled to the digital assets that belong to the decedent. If a person today is using a password manager or has created a spreadsheet that says, for my insurance coverage, contact this particular insurance company by signing on with this user ID and this password, you are encouraging the fiduciary to impersonate you. And that is against the law in 47 of the 50 states. Password managers are very good for when you are alive, but if it is your intent that you just give the list to the fiduciary that you have identified and that you have not specifically said that the fiduciary can handle your digital assets, you are encouraging the fiduciary and or the person you gave the list to, to impersonate you. I don't know where the uh, questioner was, but again, uh, we can provide you with a list of the legislation in every one of the 47 states that specifically says the fiduciary cannot impersonate the user. It's a long answer to a short question. I hope it's been helpful. Yeah. So what is the risk, Betsy, if someone makes no plans for handling of their digital assets when they die? Well, um, the emails, the videos, and the photos will just stay in cyberspace forever. And if the person who passed away is one who was um, described very accurately in an obituary, they are likely going to uh, be affected by identity theft. This is a modern crime. The fraudster reads the obituary, then goes into social media, specifically into Facebook, picks up a copy of the picture of the decedent, creates a parallel new social media, and within 10 days has been able to impersonate the decedent and apply for credit cards and loans before the banks and the banks that issue credit cards are even notified. And as long as the monthly billing stays under $8,000, the fraudster can accumulate a lot of assets so it's very risky. Um, if a person doesn't create a will or a trust document, and that's 70% of the population, you actually, if you're one of those people, you have decided that the state in which you reside will be your digital and tangible fiduciary. Probably not what you had in mind. So today's the day you call your friendly attorney, your trust and estate attorney, and create a will 
and or and a trust document. Somebody asked, how do I know if an attorney has the digital experience that I'm looking for that you've laid out in this presentation? Another good question. The attorney, there were a couple of things. The legislation that I'm referring to is called RU FADA, R-U-F-A-D-A-A, Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets. If your attorney does not even know what RUFADA is, they're the wrong attorney, number one. Number two, if they are a member of several organizations that are um, social organizations, membership organizations for trust and estate law, that's a good um, step. And in fact, STEP means the Society of Trust and Estate Professionals. Find out if your attorney is a member. Secondly, there's the American College of Trust and Estate Council, which is called ACTEC. See if they are aware of it. But a very basic question would be to your attorney, does my document follow the RUFADA regulations in Arizona, Texas, Florida, New York, wherever you're living. If you have specific questions, we have a paper on how to select the correct uh, attorney for trust and estate administration. I'll be happy to send it to whoever asks, which is why on your screen, I put my email address. Another question? No, I was gonna say that was the last question, Betsy. So uh, how can people find you? Well, on the screen that you're looking at, you'll see my name, and the company is Legacy Concierge. And note carefully that the word legacy and concierge are separated by a hyphen. So Betsy at legacy-concierge.com. And if you wanna look at the website, it will provide a lot more information on the subject than I've been able to cover today. Very good. Well, as far as Knowledgeable Aging, all of our webinars are can be found on our website, knowledgeableaging.com. Uh, you can also go to our YouTube page, type in Knowledgeable Aging. We update that four to five times per week. Uh, we encourage you to subscribe. If podcasts are your things, you can find us on Apple Tunes, Spotify, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging. Mm -hmm.